Market Journal, television for agricultural business decisions, is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Well, thanks so much for joining us here on another edition of Market Journal. I'm Bryce Duskett. Today, we join you from North Platte, Nebraska, as it's Rodeo Week. The Nebraska Land Days Buffalo Bill Rodeo was founded as the Old Glory Blowout back on July 4th of 1882 by Buffalo Bill Cody himself. It is recognized by the PRCA as the world's first spectator rodeo. The, uh, the event is underway this week and will wrap up with the final of four performances on Saturday evening. Going back to that first Buffalo Bill rodeo, there were three events. Bronc riding and roping were two of them, and the third might surprise you. We'll share what it was toward the end of today's program. Coming up on the show, we'll discuss mitigating potential damage from common stock boars and corn. Plus, we'll get a look at the latest when it comes to the markets with Darren Newsom, and as always, check in on weather. We'll get to that coming up in a moment, but first, back on the topic of rodeo, each year a new Miss Rodeo Nebraska is selected to represent the Cornhusker State. They go on to become the official ambassador to promote the state of Nebraska, professional rodeo, and western values. Rebel Seclocha holds the title this year of Miss Rodeo Nebraska, and we're pleased to have her join us today. Rebel, great to see you. Thanks for having me. Let's talk a bit about rodeo in Nebraska. How is the industry as a whole? Oh, goodness. It has been such a great year so far. We're really just kicking things off with the summer run. We enjoyed Rodeo Grand Island, of course, earlier this spring. But Nebraska Land Days and the Buffalo Bill Rodeo really kicks off rodeo season here in Nebraska, and we're pretty excited for it. What's your year of service look like? A lot of travel across not only Nebraska, but the entire United States, right? Certainly. I kicked things off on January 1st, and since then I've put over 18,000 miles on my pickup. I haven't quite counted my airline miles yet, uh, but they're, they're certainly racking up. Um, I've traveled anywhere from Florida to Idaho, Texas, anywhere and everywhere in between. And I just got my passport to attend the Calgary Stampede. So it's going to be an exciting year for sure. Yeah, lots of fun about that, no doubt. Have some of the TV shows out there like Yellowstone kind of <laughs> helped revitalize or, or kind of help amplify the, the Western way of life, the rodeo sport itself? Oh, undoubtedly. You know, the ideals of the American cowboy are incredibly marketable, and we're finding that more and more people want to be involved, which is great news for local committees, contestants, and everyone involved in rodeo, really. You know, Nebraska Land Days is a huge thing for the North Platte community. In fact, I think David Fudge said um, it brings in somewhere over $20 million of revenue to our area. So if we can get more fans in seats, um, that only means good things for us and for our industry in general. Well, I shared some of the details. This is a pretty special rodeo, rich history out here at the grounds in, in North Platte. Big acts this year as well, uh, some, some, some big honors of the folks involved. Yes, we have some of the PRCA's top cowboys and cowgirls competing here this week, but we also have some really special contract personnel. Randy Corley, our longtime rodeo announcer, Butler and Son Rodeo Company, um, as well as the Buffalo Bill Rodeo itself have all been inducted into the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame. Any particular memories of the past year stick out for you with your reign mm. as Miss Rodeo Nebraska? Well, as a particularly sheltered Midwestern gal, uh, 
Going to Florida was a bit of a shock for me. Um, I may or may not have held a python, but only for a couple seconds, just long enough to take a photo. So I've been really spoiled with the places I've gotten to go this year, and we're only halfway through. Yeah, lots of memories. Rebel, we appreciate you joining us here on Market Journal. Coming up in December, she'll be competing for the title of Miss Rodeo America. We certainly wish her all the best in that competition. Up next, if you didn't get a chance to make it out here to the Nebraska Land Days, there's another event happening in the eastern side of the state that might be an interest to some of our corn, soybean, and sorghum producers across the state. Make sure to mark your calendar for June 28th. That is the latest weed management field day held at the South Central Ag Lab near Clay Center. This half-day event will kick off at 8.30 in the morning with registration as well as coffee and rolls. The day's event will begin at 9 a.m. with demonstrations of projects for weed control in soybeans, corn, and sorghum. It will be an excellent opportunity for growers and crop consultants and anybody basically interested in weed management. Uh, we have included a number of projects in corn and soybean and also we have a project in sorghum. Majority of our projects are focusing on how best uh, we can recommend to provide uh, control of uh, glyphosate resistant weeds like water hemp and palmer amaranth. Uh, those are our uh, two major problematic weeds in corn and soybean production. In addition, we also have included a number of other projects where we are integrating non-chemical control method options. For example, we will have a project about uh, planting green means you can directly plant your cash crop like soybean when your cover crops such as cereal rice um, green and actively growing so that can provide uh, further more suppression of uh, summer annual weeds and it can delay their emergence uh, at least about two to three weeks uh, so that will be very interesting project for growers to see when we are terminating cereal dry after planting soybean and then after two weeks of planting soybean, we are terminating cereal rye. And we were wanted to see how it will perform in terms of weed suppression when we terminate cereal rye two weeks after planting and two weeks before planting soybean. While practices and management decisions on the farm may seem to be fairly consistent from year to year, attending events like this will continue to play an important role when it comes to making sure producers are getting the latest information from university researchers with the opportunity to see the results with their own eyes. The good thing about our field day is um, the research plot will be in front of you. You can see the results and we are providing all the information about what program we used in which research project, so you can decide by yourself what would you like to conduct in your own fields and in your program. So it's more like um, seeing is believing, you know, but we are also integrating with, uh, we also have a project about uh, interceding small grains in soybean to provide some early season wheat suppression, where we, have, we will have a project about interceding wheat, barley and oat so it will be a good comparison to see how much uh, those small grains which was planted one month before planting soybean and it was planted at the same time of planting soybean will provide weed suppression. Even if you don't have an agricultural operation of your own, this event will be worth attending for crop consultants as well as there will be three CCA credits available to the attendees in the pest management category. Three CCA credits will be available uh, in pest management uh, category. So a lot of uh, crop consultants, uh, if they are looking for CCA credits, this will be a good, uh, good event to attend. Uh, and another thing is this is free to attend. 
for anybody. We also provide lunch and dairy store ice cream, and so it will be a fun event to learn a lot about uh, chemical and non-chemical control method options in corn and soybean. And we also have a project about uh, controlling volunteer corn in sorghum. To review, the Weed Management Field Day will take place on Wednesday, June 28th at the South Central Ag Lab near Clay Center, Nebraska. The event is free to attend. However, registration is required and will begin at 8.30 in the morning. Soybean demonstrations will follow from 9 a.m. to 10. Corn and sorghum demonstrations will take place from 10.15 to noon. Now, if you have any questions, you're encouraged to reach out to Amit either by phone or email. His information is now on the screen. We're also going to take the liberty of adding this informative link along with this story. You can find those both on the Market Journal website. Well, of course, here on Market Journal, we're often talking about the big amount of data that's available today on the farmer ranch. That data is becoming a pretty critical tool when it comes to management decisions designed to help increase yield or profitability. But big data in the wrong hands can become, well, a big problem. That's why the Nebraska Farm Bureau and the FBI Omaha Field Office recently partnered to help farmers and ranchers be aware of agriculture threats. At a symposium recently held at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Innovation Campus, FBI Special Agent in Charge Gene Cowell said there are three main threats in the agriculture industry. Uh, the cyber threat, the counterintelligence threat, and the counterterrorism threat. In the cyber arena, what are we worried about? We're worried about the threat from cyber criminal actors, uh, you know, hijacking our farming operations, our agricultural operations, uh, our food processing facilities for ransomware, really halting operations. Uh, we've seen this happen before. In fall of uh, 2021, we saw I think, six grain cooperatives uh, get hit, and some of them did have to halt business operations. Two, we're worried about the threat of uh, nation-state adversaries, particularly the People's Republic of China, stealing our data, stealing our innovation. And more and more, we've seen that every large-scale farming operation is heavily reliant on data, on technology, on storing data in the cloud. And that data has a lot of value. And the degree to which um, other countries, especially the government of China, can steal that data and use it uh, for their own advantage is something the FBI is worried about. Three, we're very concerned about the risk posed by either criminal actors, terrorists, or other countries in times of conflict shutting down our agricultural system. The increase in technology and agricultural innovation has made the agriculture industry more efficient today than it ever has been before. But technology creates cyber vulnerabilities. Most major farm appliances and equipment now is connected uh, to the digital world, uh, which gives us great opportunities, makes us very efficient, makes us extremely productive, but really uh, introduces vulnerabilities to the system. Uh, and we're, we're concerned that those systems could be shut off, tampered with, uh, or disabled, halting our production of food, feed, and biofuel. Protecting your farm or ranch can begin with a simple acknowledgement of the threats you might be facing. Cowell says there are two immediate steps that he thinks producers can take today. One, there's basic sort of cyber hygiene steps you can do to protect your system. And you can go to FBI.gov, uh, you can go to CISA's website, a variety of sites out there that can help people do that. But two, we encourage, especially the larger producers, to reach out to the FBI. Uh, make that contact, build that connection. Uh, there's a variety of groups you can join that we foster that shares information. Uh, InfraGuard is one of them, where we share intelligence as we see it. Uh, but that's the number one takeaway, is to have a plan in case there is a cyber incident uh, and have the FBI be part of that plan. 
The symposium that Cowell spoke at had more than 400 attendees representing nearly 20 states. A lot of attention on that topic. For more information, again, you're encouraged to visit the FBI's website. As we turn our attention now over to the grain markets, this week we were joined by Bar Chart Senior Analyst Darren Newsom. This week has been dominated by news from the Federal Reserve, discussion on weather patterns, and much more. We dove into the latest when it comes to the grain markets with Darren on Wednesday afternoon. Joining us this week on Market Journal to discuss all the latest when it comes to the markets is Darren Newsom, Bar Chart Senior Analyst. Darren, great to have you back on the show. Thanks for making time. Well, I appreciate you having me on again, Bryce. We're talking to you here on Wednesday afternoon, just about an hour ago, as you and I had this conversation today, the Fed came out with their announcement about what they're going to do with interest rates. They're going to pause. First time in 15 months they're, they're doing that action. What do you make of that news? Yeah, I, I, the news itself I don't think was, was too spectacular. Uh, one of the things that I've tipped my hat to, this, uh, to, the, to the Federal Reserve for doing for the last couple of years is front-running their, their meetings, front-running their announcements. I think it was a couple of weeks ago, uh, Chairman Powell came out and said, look, you know, he, he don't be surprised uh, if the Fed pauses. You know, I know there was a couple of Fed presidents talking about, you know, there's still a chance for some rate increases. Seems like this time around, everybody's probably going to be right. Uh, you know, the Fed did announce a pause, as you said, the first time in 15 months. But I think it was the wording uh, of the rest of the, you know, the rest of the announcement where they talked about a couple more, a couple more rate hikes are possible. Here in 2023, with a target range of five and a half to five and three quarter, so you know we'll see, and that seemed to be what the market was focusing on, or markets were focusing on, uh, as we closed out the day. All right, Darren, as we look at the big picture of that announcement, how do you see that impacting us moving forward when it comes to the the grain and livestock markets? In the grain and livestock markets, I don't. It's going to be more of a ripple effect than anything else. Uh, you know, there is there's always that tie to the U.S. dollar, and you know the dollar had been under a great deal of pressure, uh, you know, throughout much of Wednesday's session. Then when the announcement came out, it started to strengthen again. Again, it isn't because they were raising rates now, but because of the possibility of raising rates down the road. Now, is that going to change our exports outlooks at all? I don't think so. You know, the dollar remains in a long-term downtrend, but the problem is, you know, the world's largest buyers finding supplies from other places. So right now, we just don't have a lot of export demand for our goods, and I don't know that the, you know, a change in the value of the dollar from here through the end of the year is going to change that much. All right. Good to know. Appreciate your analysis on that. Behind me right now, it's bucking bulls. You'd call it a bull market here at the rodeo, but uh, when you look at the, the grain markets, what are you seeing, Darren? Are you seeing bulls there as well? I think I think there's still the opportunity to be bullish uh, the grain markets. You know, if we look at the long term future spreads, it's telling us the commercial side of the market is still concerned about long term supply and demand. Now, if you know, is this all going to boil down to weather again? I've said it many times. You know, these markets are weather derivatives at heart. And so if we see a pattern change, if every weekend starts to bring us these these storms moving through the plains in the Midwest, and we actually start to see the readings, the, the soil moisture readings start to show some improvement, then I think that changes. I think we're going to start to see those changes in the future spreads, uh, and they're going to lose some of that bullishness long term. But, you know, for now, as, as we're heading towards another weekend, haven't seen a lot of change in the spreads, haven't seen a lot of change in that basic structure of the market, uh, but it's always a possibility. And again, it's all going to come down to, you know, what happens with the weather over the coming months. When it comes to spreads, you like to break those down here on Market Journal. We always appreciate that. But you described it this week as silly season. Tell me more about that. What do you mean? 
Yeah, this is silly season. Once we hit Q4 or the June, July, August timeframe, uh, particularly in soybeans, what we've got is we've got both sides of the market, commercial and non-commercial, rolling their positions from July, which goes into delivery at the end of the month. Uh, they, get, they can roll them out to, in the soybeans. They can roll them out to August. September or all the way out to new crop November. And that's even on the commercial side. We really don't know where the cash bids are being, what contract the cash bids are being tied to. And it's a similar situation in corn, you know, where we could see it go to that hybrid September contract, which is part old crop, part new crop. You know, it shows characteristics of both. So it gets, it's difficult to get a good read on fundamentals if we use basis and spreads. Uh, so again, it's just a silly time of year. Uh, we basically just have to look at the cash price, the value of the, the intrinsic value of the markets themselves. All right, Darren, before we let you go, I need to ask you about the livestock front. When it comes to box beef prices, also cash cattle, are you seeing a, seeing a top on both of those markets soon? I'm seeing a possibility of a top. I mean, this market could be getting tired. Uh, if we look at the cash indexes, the monthly charts for the cash indexes, you know, they 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 shot up early for both for both live cattle and feeder cattle. They shot up early in June and they've pulled back. Uh, and on Tuesday afternoon, we saw the first weakness in one of the boxed beef markets. I believe it was in the select lost about 40, 50 cents. So I'm not saying that the end is near, but it, it could certainly be working that way. It can't stay this strong forever. At some point, you, you start to shut off demand. So we have to be very careful with these cash markets. All right. All right, Dara, I guess let's wrap up kind of on this note. Final things you're keeping an eye on. What should we be being, paying attention to now that we're in the middle of the month of June? Yeah, the biggest thing, again, these the grain markets are weather derivatives, and, and so they're going to trade uh, all of the weather forecasts that come out, and it just depends on which ones turn out to be right. So certainly, you know, we're just in that time of year. Some say it's too early for weather markets, but we have to pay close attention to the weather. And, you know, and the, probably how we, how we come out of each weekend, go into each weekend and come out of each weekend. So certainly be keeping an eye on that. And, and again, the box beef market, to me, has been a great economic indicator. So if that starts to if that starts to sag, if that starts to top, what does it mean for the U.S. economy as a whole? I think that's also that's also a discussion for another day. Yeah, well, I guess if we're using rodeo terms here, Darren, we'll end with this: say, hang on, things get a little bumpy. <laughs> that's a great way of putting it, Bryce. <laughs> Darren Newsom, our guest here on Market Journal. Darren, thanks for the time today. All right, appreciate you having me on again. Good stuff as always when it comes to having Darren here on the show. If you ever have a specific commodity question you'd like us to ask one of our guests, we welcome those here on Market Journal. Be sure to email us and I'll pass your question along. Well, Red Willow County sorghum producer Tracy Zing ran the table in the sorghum division of the University of Nebraska's TAPS program contest last year. She won the greatest gain in yield, highest input use efficiency, and most profitable farm categories. As a third generation farmer from Indianola, Zink says the TAPS competition allows her to try some different technologies that she might not be able to adopt on her farm just yet. You can learn more about those winning strategies and some of the technologies she was using in the June issue of the Nebraska Farmer. What well, is that time of the show where we check in on the latest when it comes to weather? This week we are joined by meteorologist Eric Hunt. Eric, we welcome you here to the Market Journal show. What's catching your eye when it comes to weather in the week ahead? Well, thank you, Bryce. Let's start off this week by taking a look at the U.S. Drought Monitor, which was released on Thursday morning. Uh, some good news to report here. First, uh, we did not see any expansion of extreme or exceptional drought across eastern Nebraska. And we did actually see some more eradication of drought in western Nebraska. So we now have 25% of the state that is actually free of drought. Now, there is still a lot of abnormal dryness. Uh, but this is the best news we've had drought-wise in the state for some time, at least west of the 100th Meridian. 
Uh, precipitation last seven days uh, up through Thursday morning actually also reveals some other good news. Uh, parts of northeastern and east central Nebraska picked up significant precipitation last weekend. Uh, in Norfolk, this is actually last Friday was the first time in 590 days that they received an inch of precipitation or more in a, in a 24 hour period. Uh, unfortunately, not everybody was so lucky. Again, um, you know, if you live in Polk or York or Seward counties, you really kind of got the shaft last weekend as you have mostly kind of gotten the shaft from other nature for most of the spring and early summer. Uh, looking at vegetation conditions across the state, uh, things are improving in the west, uh, pretty severe. Uh, for pastures and crops um, relative to normal across a lot of east central and northeastern Nebraska. A little bit of improvement up there toward the South Dakota border. Um, you know, maybe those rains late, late last week actually were fairly effective. Uh, but we are starting to move into a pattern where I think we were going to start seeing more regular chances of precipitation, including this weekend. Uh, so this is through Sunday night, and it looks like, um, you know, most of the state may actually pick up between a quarter and an inch of rain. Uh, between now and Sunday night. This is not a guarantee that anybody, everybody's going to get rain, uh, but the good thing is, is it looks like there are reasonable chances for everybody to pick up something. Uh, moving forward, you know, looking at the eight to 14 day temperature outlook, it does look like we will be on the warm side. Um, I don't think we're looking at record heat in our area, but I do think it will be mostly upper 80s to low 90s for most of the next two weeks, uh, except with the exception maybe in the panhandle. And then uh, I think the best news is though, is that it looks like we are moving into a period where we're going to start seeing more regular precipitation events and potentially widespread precipitation events uh, that may actually start bringing some meaningful drought relief to areas in eastern Nebraska that most desperately need it. Thank you. Back to you, Bryce. All right, thank you very much for that update, Eric. We do appreciate it. Also want to recognize and thank weather analyst Bill Boyer, who has provided the weather updates here on Market Journal as the university worked to fill the shoes of Al Dutcher. Bill, we appreciate your contributions over the past couple of months. Finally, today, as you're out scouting your cornfield, be on the lookout for common stock borer larvae. This pest has been known to damage corn plants in the first few rows near fence rows and perhaps some waterways. We recently sat down with entomologist Bob Wright to discuss steps producers should take to mitigate any potential damage. Today on Crop Talk, we are discussing scouting for common stock borers and corn. We are visiting with extension entomologist Bob Wright. Bob, great to see you. Thank you. Well, this is an important timely topic now. Why is that when it comes to stem borers? Well, this is the only time we really have to control them. They have an interesting life cycle. They lay their eggs in the fall, typically in field borders, uh, maybe brome grass borders or uh, broadleaf weeds like ragweed. And then the eggs overwinter and they, as it warms up in the spring, they hatch out. Typically the caterpillars start feeding on small grasses like brome grass. And when they get about half grown, they, they get too big for the brome grass and they start migrating looking for bigger plants and that's when they move into corn. And so this, this period now is, is when they're, they're moving, at least in southeast Nebraska, that's where they're starting to move into corn. And so now it's the time to, uh, to try to control them. We need to control them while they're small and before they bore down all the way down into the, the whirl, at which point they're no longer controllable. I will ask you about some of the treatments, perhaps uh, ways to control here in a second, but if we're going to encourage people to go out to the fields and scout, what does that look like? What should they be keeping an eye out for? Well, typically it's it's damage to the, the whorl leaves. Uh, sometimes, depends a little bit where they enter the plant, they can bore into the side of the stem and kill the growing point, or they can bore into the whorl and cause rough feeding injury on the leaves as they emerge. So. And then also uh, 
typically infested plants are, are stunted compared to uh, non-infested plants. Mm -hmm. And typically we see most injury on field borders. So that, that's the first place to look It's on field borders. Uh, particularly if you have brome grass waterways nearby, that would be a, a typical situation. Okay, so you're out there, you're scouting, you identify, hey, this is a pretty big issue in my fields this year. What, what are the management practices? What, what are some of the treatments out there? Well, it's basically foliar insecticides. And uh, the other issue is uh, need to scout in terms of the, how, how common the damage is. And we have thresholds in the CropWatch article that vary with, it varies with the uh, plant growth stage and the value of the crop and some of those issues. So smaller plants are more easily killed than larger plants and more easily injured. So planting data is a factor also, particularly maybe late planted corn would be something that would be most at risk. You referenced your crop watch article on this topic, and one of the things you detailed in there was growing degree days and how those play into this conversation. Share a little bit more about that. Well, there's there's a couple of triggers. One is when the the eggs hatch out and start start growing, and then later as they get larger, we have we have uh, degree day guidelines on the period of time when they're starting to move into corn, and that's really what where you want to concentrate. And of course, if you look at that map, you know we warm up first in southeast and south central Nebraska, and then as you go further north, the key time will be later in the year or a couple of weeks later maybe in, in northern Nebraska. So we have to go by degree days. Uh, the CropWatch article has a link where you can get current information uh, for the degree day uh, totals. It's not the typical growing degree days. It's a special degree day that only applies to common stock borer because they have a, a very low temperature threshold for development compared to corn or growing degree days. Okay, so yeah. definitely something we want to encourage people to go to the CropWatch article and check out on there. Something else you brought up on, on this topic, Bob, has to do with cover crops. And uh, mm -hmm. cover crops have continued to increase in popularity and how you evaluate insects, I'm sure, is changing a bit because of that, right? Well, the issue, we don't have research on this, but uh, like I said, they, they will develop in brome grass uh, they can develop in, in possibly ryegrass as well, which is a common cover crop. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of injury from cover crop situations, but again, maybe you know, certainly start on the field borders, but scout the whole field for potential for injury. Uh, there is the potential for other hosts for the common stock borer that uh, they could migrate out of. All right, well, I'll give you the final word this week on this topic. What do you want to leave us with? Well, basically, check the degree day information. In southeast Nebraska, you definitely need to be scouting your corn uh, field borders now. And, and as you get further west and north in the state, it'll be a little later. But uh, don't, it, particularly if you've had a history of problems with this insect, uh, now is the time to scout. Nebraska Extension entomologist Bob Wright joining us. Bob, we appreciate the time. Okay, thank you. Thanks again to Bob for joining us here on the show this week. Well, that is about all the time we have for the program. Before we wrap up, at the beginning of the show, I told you there were three events here at the first Buffalo Bill Rodeo all the way back in 1882. They included bronc riding and roping, and I mentioned that the third might surprise you. It was buffalo riding. Yes, I said buffalo. Nice again to everybody out here at the Nebraska Land Days for their hospitality. We'll be back in the studio next week. Until then, I'm Bryce Duskett, wishing you a safe and productive week. 
Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.